0: Let's return to Genesis tonight, if you're joining us for the first time in a while. We're still going through the book of Genesis, and we've got lots and lots of material to cover tonight. Uh, Tonight is going to be challenging in some ways, because we're going to get to uh, chapter uh, 43 and 44. And we're going to be reading large chunks of Scripture, and I'm not going to be commenting on every verse. Uh, And the reason we're covering it this way is because of some of the repetitive uh, nature of the verses. Circumstances different and people different, but some of the same type things that are happening over and over again in these uh, chapters. And so we'll be kind of taking some some broad strokes uh, tonight. But we're looking tonight at the subject matter, God's sure hand of guidance, God's sure hand of guidance, uh, Genesis 42, and we're we're going to cover tonight 42, 43, 44, and we're going to start in 45. So. Uh, We're gonna, we're gonna need to take some time just to do some reading tonight, okay? Reading of a large block of scripture. And then we'll, uh, we'll come back and deal with some in more detail. So chapter 42, verse 1 says, When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them, for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. He said to them, you're spies, you've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed, your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir, we are not spies. "'Yes, yes, you are,' Joseph insisted. "'You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become.' "'Sir,' they said, "'there are actually twelve of us. "'We, your servants, are all brothers, "'sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. "'Our youngest brother is back there "'with our father right now, "'and one of our brothers is no longer with us.' "'But Joseph insisted, "'as I said, you're spies.' this is how I'll test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother then I'll know your spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you're telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed for home. But when they stopped for the night and one of them opened a sack to get grain for his donkey, he found his money in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, What has God done to us? When the brothers came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him everything that had happened to them. The man who is governor of the land spoke very harshly to us, they told him. He accused us of being spies, scouting the land. But we said, We are honest men, not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father, One brother is no longer with us, and the youngest is at home with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man who is governor of the land told us, This is how I will find out if you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take grain for your starving families, and go on home. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me, then I will know you are honest men and not spies." Then I will give you back your brother, and you may trade freely in the land. As they emptied out their sacks, there in each man's sack was the the bag of money he had paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. Jacob exclaimed, You are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone, and now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him, and I promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead, and he is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. Let's stop there for now and we'll read two more chapters a little bit later uh, in the study tonight. But folks, I want you to remember what we have been saying from previous weeks. Everything that, that we read about from here on into the following chapters is to help us to see what? It's to help us to see that God is engineering circumstances to get Jacob's family down to Egypt. Now let's think ahead for a moment. God had already told Abraham years earlier that Abraham's descendants would be slaves in a foreign land for for 400 years and then God would deliver them and bring them back into Canaan. Do you remember the reason God, God gave for telling Abraham that? The sins of the Canaanites are not yet complete. What are we being told there? He's given them time to repent? Absolutely. He's given them time to repent while Jacob's family is enslaved uh, in Egypt. Well, in Exodus 1, what do we read? Joseph is dead, but not his descendants. We're told in Exodus 1 that there was a new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. This Pharaoh will turn Joseph's kinfolks into a nation of slaves. And so, folks, God is at work on several levels here. Now, let me explain. I I want you to remember when, when God later leads the children of Israel into the promised land, he instructs them that they are to destroy all of the inhabitants of the land. God is doing things so that nobody will be able to say God is unjust or God is unfair. No, God is not unfair. God is not unjust. God knows whether they will repent or not, but he's taken away any accusations that men would ever be inclined to launch at him. God will be fully just and righteous in telling the Israelites to annihilate everyone in Canaan. So that's one level of what's going on here. God's setting all of that up. On another level, God will also have a purpose in Joseph's family being enslaved in Egypt. God is going to build character and fortitude in them and God will will be bonding them closer together as a family of slaves. And so through their bondage, God will be doing a work in them to strengthen them. And on still another level, they will see beyond a shadow of a doubt God's deliverance of them. There is no way they will be able to witness all of the plagues in Egypt and in the Exodus and then be able to fail to see that it is God's strong hand delivering them. They will witness the mighty acts of God and they will know that God is using them and working in them. So all of these different levels of things are happening here. And these are things that we're going to see play out in the rest of the book of Genesis and then also in the book of Exodus. Now, folks, I don't want you to think that God is reacting. God doesn't react. God doesn't react to human history. God is proactive. God is putting all of the right people in all of the right places at all of the right times to do exactly as he will lead them to do. This is God's plan being carried out in human history. God is not some victim of human history that is pacing about, pacing back and forth in heaven and saying, oh my, look at what these humans are doing now. What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this situation? No, this is God's story. And so God is setting all of these things up at all of these different levels. How is He able to do that? Because He's sovereign God. He's sovereign God. As I've told you before many times, history is His story. History is His story. Yes, men are accountable for what they do. They will have to stand judgment before God. Men are accountable. But it's God's storyline. Well, the first thing I want you to see tonight is Jacob's harsh words in verses 1 and 2. Jacob's harsh words... When, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. Now, how do you think Jacob has heard about grain being available in Egypt? Exactly. Exactly. If you were to turn and look at the maps at the back of your Bible, what would you notice about the land of Palestine? What jumps out at you? Anything in particular? It's a crossroads. Egypt was a major world power at the time. And then the nations to the north and east of Israel were major players at the time. And the major trade highways from Egypt to these major world kingdoms to the east of Palestine, the major trade routes went right through Israel. The major highways Now, that would later prove to be both a blessing and a curse to Israel. Israel would be like the middle ground between these major world powers. Now, that meant that Israel would have exposure to major trade. That's a good thing. Because they could get goods from around the world back then. But it would also mean that Israel would sometimes be caught right in the middle of the wars between these major players that were at work in the world at that time. Also Israel would be exposed to all the ways of the world as trade cut right through their country. And so they would be exposed for good or bad for everything else that was going on in, in the world at that time. And so it's good and bad that Israel was right there, kind of like a bridge right in between these major nations. Now, I mentioned last week why Egypt was so fertile. If you were here last week, what's the reason? The Nile River. Exactly. It was because of the Nile. When most nations of the world back then experienced famine due to droughts, Egypt had the advantage of having one of the major rivers of the world that flowed right through their land and emptied into the Mediterranean Sea. And the Egyptians had learned quite well about irrigation. They learned early in their history how to trench irrigation ditches and, and water the land of Egypt. Now, additionally, on top of just the regular irrigation, what would happen to the Nile every year? It would flood. It went through a flood stage every year. So all around the Nile for miles and miles, the, the Nile would, would pick up nutrient-rich silt and deposit in the fields going out from around the Nile making it very fertile. And so Egypt was a very blessed land when it came to water. Now folks, we take water for granted, don't we? But if you lived in the Middle East back then in a desert climate where you don't have Water the same way we have it today—water lines and all that. If you lived in a in a desert climate back then, you would know firsthand how precious water was. And so Egypt was was blessed with water, and because of that, their land was a land of, of abundance and a land of richness. Oftentimes, Egypt was viewed in ancient times as the breadbasket of the ancient world. And folks, if Egypt ever experienced a famine, it probably meant that in the rest of the world back then, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people had already died. If a famine started impacting Egypt, The rest of the world in that area was really in serious trouble. And so at any rate, Jacob hears of food in Egypt and he's saying to his sons, why in the world aren't you guys taking some initiative? My goodness, get up, get down to Egypt and buy us some grain. Now folks, Jacob's sons are grown men. Joseph was the baby. How old is Joseph at this time? He's 30. And so his older brothers are reaching up into their 40s, probably nearing 50. Can they not think for themselves? I mean, is it really going to be left to the patriarch in the family? To say to his sons, can't you boys do something? Can't you all have some kind of initiative on your own and get up and get down to Egypt and get us some food so that we all don't starve to death? It truly makes you wonder why they hadn't thought of this on their own. And so Jacob has to speak pretty emphatically to them, probably pretty harshly to them. Well, secondly, I want you to see that uh, Jacob's favoritism reasserts itself. Look again at verse 4. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. And so this same old favoritism in the family is surfacing all over again. Now, remember, folks, it was favoritism on Jacob's part that caused him to lose Joseph years earlier when Joseph's brother sold him to the Ishmaelites going down to Egypt. And here Jacob is doing this same favoritism all over again. Now remember, Jacob had two sons by who? Rachel, his favorite wife. Two sons, Joseph, who now he thinks is dead, and Benjamin. Okay, these other sons, who are they the sons of? Leah, and also the handmaids of of Rachel and Leah both. Okay, and again, Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. Jacob only has the two sons from Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is gone. Rachel is dead. So Benjamin is all that Jacob has left from his union with Rachel. He doesn't want to lose Benjamin. But don't you know that these other boys had to have resented their father to some degree? They knew that their daddy did not love their mothers the way he loved Rachel. And they also knew that Jacob didn't love any of his sons from these women the way that he loved Joseph and Benjamin. Folks, it is not fun for anybody to be on the short end of the stick. Nobody wants to be on the short end of the stick. And so Jacob wants them to go down to Egypt. But he's not about to send Benjamin. Benjamin is now his daddy's pet, just like Joseph had been. Uh, That's a great question. Just Well, think about that for a moment. Just think about that. Why? all ten, there's a good answer for that. Well, there'd be safety. Bingo. Say that again. Carry more stuff. stuff, Because remember, well, he's sending more of them down there to haul more back. Safety in numbers, but so they can bring more back. We'll have to ask him one day. (laughs) Well, next I want you to see fulfilled, if you're taking notes, next thing I want you to see is fulfilled dreams. Let's pick up reading in in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people. It was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded... From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. He said to them, you're spies, you've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Now, what was his dreams earlier uh, when he was a young lad growing up? Yes, although they'll do that also later with their dad. Uh, Yes, more than once. But remember what happened earlier on? When when Joseph was still at home with his brothers, their sheaves bowed down to his. And then the sun and the moon and the stars paid homage to him. And it angered his brothers. It angered Jacob too. But the Scripture says Jacob still kind of thought about what Joseph was saying. So folks, what's coming to pass? His dreams. His dreams. Things are coming to pass exactly the way God had revealed to him early in his life through those dreams. Now like we've talked about before in here, God speaks to us today through His Word, but in biblical times before they had the Scripture, God oftentimes spoke to people through dreams and visions. And God had spoken to uh, Joseph that way. And now those dreams are coming to pass. They're coming and bowing down before him now you might wonder why in the world they don't recognize Joseph but he recognizes them okay Egyptian men were clean-shaven Hebrew men were were not. They wore beards. Egyptian men were clean shaven. Plus, Joseph would have had on the regal robes of Egyptian royalty. He would probably had a fancy headpiece on. Jewelry, Egyptian jewelry. And when's the last time they saw Joseph? When he was 17 years old. And now he's thirty, so he's aged. He's aged from a teenage boy to a to a young man. They've aged too, but remember, back at seventeen, they were still men. So probably the change in them was not as drastic. What was, you were saying, something Ed? Speaking through an, an interpreter. Right. Sure. So. And so they've not changed as much. And also he knows because he learns that they're the sons of one man. So, I mean, he recognizes them as his brothers. And the count is accurate. He knows he has that many brothers. And, and so it's easy for him to know this is his brothers. He might have recognized some of them more than others, Uh from his memory, but he can tell these are his brothers. But again, because of the way Egypt has changed him, clean shaven and the regal robes and all, they don't they don't know it's him. Well, let's look at verse ten and following to see Joseph's plot. Joseph speaks harshly to his brothers. What's he doing here? He's testing them. Are they still the hard-hearted group of guys that he remembered? Joseph no doubt wants to test them to see what kind of men they've become. Are they more gentle and kind than he remembers? Or are they still the same way? Now the irony of ironies, Joseph had spied on them, remember? Joseph had gone up at the command of his father to spy on them when they captured him and sold him. Now he accuses them of being spies. Also, Joseph had served time in prison. He now puts them in prison. But it's only for three days. Now they didn't know that. They might have thought they're going to end up spending a lot of year, maybe the rest of their lives there. But you you can sense that Joseph is plotting. He knows he has them on the ropes, and they're fearful. Look at verse twenty one. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. What are they feeling? They're feeling some guilt. Guilt. Their conscience is kicking in. We're being punished. We know they treated Joseph wrongly years earlier. Makes you wonder, have they been living all these years with some degree of guilt? Probably so. And so now, naturally, they think this is punishment. They are reaping what they've sown. They're reaping the consequences of their sin. Now look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Now he, that is Joseph, turned away from them, and began to weep. This is a lot for Joseph to take in. He hears them arguing about how they had earlier treated him. He breaks down out of their sight. Now, we're not told why Joseph goes on to select Simeon. No explanation is given why Joseph chooses him to stay there in prison. And then look at verses 27 to 35 when they stopped for the night and one of them opened their sack and and there the money was in the top of the sack and then they get back to their dad and there in each man's sack was the bag of money. I mean, these guys are scared now because if they go back, Joseph is going to think that they were not only spies, but what are they now? They're also thieves. What chance in the world will they have if they go back and see Joseph now. He might have him killed. Then in verse 36 Jacob explained, you're robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone and now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. So it all comes out now. Whether he had ever said it or not, he now openly blames his sons for all the bad that's ever happened to him. Look at verse 38. Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he's all I have Left. Now, folks, does that strike you as being incredibly insensitive? He has 11 sons that he knows of, and yet, what does he say? Benjamin is all I've got. Very clearly in this verse, he, he sort of spills the beans that in his mind, Joseph and Benjamin are the only two sons that ever really meant anything to him. Folks, it's hard to imagine how hurt this might have made the other sons feel. It also kind of makes you wonder what Jacob could have possibly been thinking By blurting this out. Goodness, even if you were thinking it, why would you say it in the hearing of your ten sons? What kind of man, what kind of dad would say something like this? Now, I've said it repeatedly as we go through Genesis, but what do we see over and over again? about the characters that God used in the book of Genesis? They're very human. They're very flawed. Very flawed. Since Genesis chapter 3, everybody is flawed, right? Seriously. Okay, let's read. Chapter 43, and we're just going to summarize some things here. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan when the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone. Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said the man was serious when he warned us. Notice, who's Joseph at this point repeatedly every time you read about Joseph? Who is he? He's the man, the man. The man. But Judah said the man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we'll go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Why were you so cruel to me? Jacob moaned. Why did you tell him you had another brother? The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation and not only we, but you and our little ones. In other words, three generations are going to die. Dad, I know you don't want to lose, take the risk of losing Benjamin, but if we don't go, you're going to die, we're going to die, and our little ones are, are going to die. Three generations. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now. So their father Jacob finally said to them, If it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of this land. Take them down to the man as gifts. Balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts... And almonds. I mean, folks, these are sacrificial gifts in the midst of a famine. I mean, Jacob is Jacob is giving away probably a lot of what they what little remains. Also, take double the money that was put back in your sacks, as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother, go back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return but if I must lose my children, so be it. So the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, these men will eat with me this noon, take them inside the palace, then go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him and took them into Joseph's palace. The brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. The brothers approached the manager of Joseph ha- Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance to the palace. Sir, they said, we came to Egypt once before to buy food But as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was in the top of his sack. Here it is. We brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea who put our money in our sacks. Relax. Don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks, I know I received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. The manager then led the men into Joseph's palace. He gave them water to wash their feet and provided food for their donkeys. They were told they would be eating there, so they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. When Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought him, then bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked how How is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. The waiters served Joseph at his own table and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despised Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit And to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Folks, the famine is relentless. It hasn't let up one bit. Just like God had revealed to Pharaoh in Pharaoh's dreams. Jacob again says to his sons, Go buy us grain in Egypt. And Judah is blunt. If you let Benjamin go, we'll go. If you're not going to let him go, we're not going. We'll just be wasting our time. Now, folks, what surprises you about this? Does, any, does anything else surprise you about this so far? Evidently, Jacob has been satisfied all this time to let Simeon waste away in prison. Again, Jacob blames these boys in verse, verses 6 and following. Why would you have to tell the man you had another brother? Finally, in verse 11 and following, we see Jacob resigning himself to the inevitable. They're all going to die if they don't do something. And so what's Jacob do? Jacob thinks he can help buy the man off. By sending all these special gifts. Now the rest of chapter three, obviously, as we've just read, occupies itself with Jacob, I mean Joseph finally meeting his younger brother Benjamin, whom he has never seen before, and he's so overcome with emotion he has to rush out of the room. And then we see the feast that Joseph throws for his brothers. Now from earlier in verse 18, we know that Joseph's brothers think Joseph is setting them all up for a kill. They can't understand his kindness of bringing them into his own house. And so they automatically, worse, he's trying to disarm us. And then when he's got us disarmed and comfortable in his own house, he's going to seize us, take everything we have, and make us slaves. You can understand their suspicions. And then in verse in chapter forty-four, as I say, we're just we're just basically reading at this point. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack along with money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. The brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, Chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, Why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. When the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded, We are your servants And would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find his cup with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. That's fair, the man replied. But only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. They all quickly took their sacks from the backs of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager uh, searched the brothers' sacks from the oldest to the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. The worst fears. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, "O oh, my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, Not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself." My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so we can see him, or so I can see him with my own eyes." But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever." So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. What does Joseph see about his brothers? Joseph sees quite a heart change, doesn't he? Before, they didn't seem to care one bit that they had tricked their dad into thinking that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. But now they are throwing themselves on Joseph's mercy And Judah is saying, let me be your slave because our father could not stand to lose Benjamin. And so clearly the brothers are demonstrating that they want to make sure that Benjamin is cared for and returned to his father. They don't want to see their father grieved to death. And so again, what's Joseph been doing in all these verses that we've been reading? What's Joseph been doing? He's been testing his brothers. And now, what's he see? They're different men. They're different men than he remembers them being. And so, when he can take it no more, he reveals his identity. But, folks, the big thing I want you to see in closing is verses 5 through 8. What does Joseph realize about his life? God's controlled everything. God's controlled everything. God's the one who's done all this. Folks, he's been sold into slavery. He was put in prison. He was forgotten. He was forgotten by the cupbearer. He's been separated from his brothers and his father. But God has engineered all of this to save Joseph's family and not only Joseph's family, but He says many other survivors as well. God has done all of this because a famine was coming. And God has remembered His promises to Abraham that Abraham will have many descendants and they will go down to Egypt and then they will be delivered. A famine is not going to overtake Jacob's family to the point that they die. God's going to preserve them and He's going to preserve them through Joseph. Mature is the person who can look back at all the harmful things in his or her life and see that none of it was an accident. None of it was coincidence. God had a plan in all of it. As I've told you before, God doesn't put His children in a protective bubble and save us from all the hardships and trials in the world. Life's hard. Life's filled with valleys. Life is filled with hardship and with trials. And God uses all of that in a believer's life. Romans 8.28 says what? That God uses all things for the good of those who love Him. And Romans 8.28 is not saying that everything is good, but it's saying God is able to work good out of all things, even bad things even evil things, even sinful things like what Joseph's brothers had done to him, God is able to use all of that for the good of those who love Him. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We're in a hurry. When we are in trials, when we're in hardships, when we're in pain, we want it fixed right now. But folks, again, how long has it been in the making for Joseph? At least 13 years and probably a couple of years beyond that. God is not in a hurry, but God is working His plan. And the things that you look back on in your life and you want to curse, the things that you wish you could remove from your life might be the very things that God has used the most in your life to get you where God wants you to be. And to get you... Into a place where God can best use you. God uses all things for the good of those who love Him. Some people look back on their lives and they're bitter, they're angry at God and they're bitter. If anybody had a right to do that, it would have been Joseph. And yet he looks back on his life and he sees the hand of God in it all. So what's in your past that you may may have cursed or you may be angry about? It may be that very thing that you look back on, that very thing that God is wanting to use in your life to accomplish His purposes.